everything is taken Find the inspiration from these pictures in my basement I've been working non-stop, can have a minute wasted Hello, and welcome to Naturally Driven by Grips Coffee. Join us while we interview creatives, founders, and leaders to discover what it is that inspired them to bet on themselves and create what they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Alex Garrett, and today we're going to be talking with Carlos Soto from Nosotros Tequila. Nosotros was an idea forged in a business class at Loyola Marymount University and is now one of the leading brands in the U.S. tequila market. As a socially responsible tequila company, Nosotros has pioneered their unique blend of highland and lowland agave, creating a perfectly balanced and delicious tequila. We sat down with Soto to hear about how we got into the business, what inspires him to keep pushing and what it's all for. Enjoy. This episode of Naturally Driven is brought to you by our sponsor, Grips Coffee. Grips Coffee was started for two reasons, to fix the problems in the coffee industry and to inspire you to create your purpose. Coffee has a long history of underpaying farmers, spraying their crops with harmful chemicals, selling stale beans, and settling for poor quality product. Grips Coffee aims to fix that. Being a fairly traded company, Grips pays its farmers an above market price for their crop. We don't think that multi-generational farms should be handcuffed to big buyers forcing unwarranted price decreases because they can. Certified by the CCOF, you can also rest assured that the coffee you're getting at Grips was grown without the use of pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides, keeping the environment they're grown in intact and ensuring the long-term health of the wonderful farmers that grow it. On top of these important problems we're working to fix, all of our coffee is specialty grade and made to order. What does that mean? It means that the beans you're getting with Grips are some of the rarest on the planet and won't be roasted until you order it. Unlike commodity grocery store coffee that's been sitting on the shelves for months, Grips Coffee doesn't roast your coffee until you order it. Why do we do all this? Because we know what it means to live by doing. To create your purpose and build the things that you want to see in the world. We want to encourage you to do the same. This was our big idea. What's yours? All right. Carlos, thanks so much for joining Naturally Driven. Thanks for having me, man. Really excited. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive straight into it. You know, you started Nosotros. Tell us a little bit about Nosotros. You know, what do you guys sell? What are you all about? Yeah, so we're a tequila mezcal company. Uh, We're based out of here in California. Uh, But, you know, obviously we produce everything down in Mexico, two different regions. Our tequila comes from Jalisco. Our mezcal comes down from Oaxaca. Um, and you know, we've been, we're independent. So that, what that, what that means is we're not part of any big conglomerate in our category of spirits. There's a, a few major conglomerates that pretty much own every brand you can think of that is, you know, known <laughs> right, <laughs> like right. some of the bigger names. Uh, so, you know, as an independent player, it's, it's, it's always, a, an interesting, uh, place to be in, but, uh, but we're very, really happy, man. Well, the last few years have been great. We've been in the market now for four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, continuing to grow and, and it's crazy to see something that, you know, started out, started out as a school project and now it's a, it's a reality, right? <laughs> right, right. So it started out as a school project. Take us back a little bit. Where were you going to school? Where was your mindset at? What year was it? Tell us a little totally. bit about that, you know, how things got started. Yeah. So I'm, I'm originally from Costa Rica. I was born and raised over there and I moved to California about eight years ago. Um, I got a scholarship to go study to Loyola Marymount University, um, so here in LA. And um, it was an awesome experience, you know, first real encounter with uh, the U.S. as a whole and, and um, first encounter with tequila. Uh, so how did you even hear, sorry to interrupt, how did you hear about LMU? Like, did you, like, <laughs> you were just, you know, sit chilling in Costa Rica and you found a school and you're like, I wonder if they'll pay me to go here? Or tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that process. 
Sort of. So I, I actually was going to a Costa Rican high school and uh, I, about a year before graduating, I, I switched high schools to go and do the international baccalaureate program, okay. which is uh, at an international level. It's pretty much the AP equivalent of kind of getting a lot of the stuff that a lot of people do here in, in the U.S. Because um, I wanted to go study abroad and my original plan was actually to go either to Spain or I was looking at some uh, schools in Argentina and um, there was a tour of schools from California that came uh, to Costa Rica and they were just kind of showcasing uh, education in the U.S., different programs. You know, you had LMU, USC, uh, Stanford, a lot of the UCs like that came together and, and they were pitching schools down there. Mm-hmm. And um, in their main pitch was like, hey, this is California is basically the, the combination of the U.S. and Costa Rica. You come in, you still have the beaches, you have like people are super relaxed, but then you also have like the tech environment and the people that are super business oriented for what I wanted to study. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it caught my attention. And, and to be completely honest, they had a bunch of pictures of, uh, of the Santa Monica Pier. Uh-huh. And I was like, where have I seen that? And I literally like went back in time and I was like, I grew up watching Rocket Power. I don't know if you ever saw oh, the show. Oh, yeah, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what's the little hand thing they do? Uh, the um, is this like a, Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, <laughs> they just mumble through it. Yeah, whatever that yeah, is. Absolutely. Wibbly, wibbly, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I saw the I saw the um, the thing and I was like, damn, man, that was pretty cool. I loved I loved the show and I started looking into it and it, it seemed like a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up applying and and you know I I got a few different scholarships from from a bunch of schools and and LMU had, gave me a really good scholarship, so it was tough to say no. Mm-hmm. And uh, next thing I knew, I was on a plane coming over. So <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And you and you knew you wanted to study business right out the gate or. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I was pretty set on that. It was, um, I always had a, a bit of a, of an interest in, in film too, but it was more so on the, um, on the passion side of things. Uh, you know, I grew up and, and my, my, my dad is an entrepreneur himself. He didn't go to school and, you know, he was, a am um, a first generation going, going to college. And, uh, I think I grew up around that environment of, of hustling and, and just working and, you know, having to take right. care of your, your own, uh, do you think entrepreneurship is just hereditary? Yeah, so often do I talk to entrepreneurs and you know their dad or their mom were entrepreneurs and it's just like it just seems like it just feeds into the other generation. Do you think that's true? I don't know the answer to the question because I don't know. I've seen examples of both. I've seen people mm-hmm. that kind of completely just go the opposite direction because they saw their parents kind of live in a you know strictly nine to five environment. Right. Uh, and then some other people grew up with the environment. I think it more than hereditary is a, I would definitely say it's a personality type. Right. Uh, because with entrepreneurship, there's definitely a lot of chaos that goes mm-hmm. around uh, and you need to be able to kind of go with the flow with a lot of, a lot of things. And there's some people that just don't operate that way. Right. Um, and yeah, I think I, I would definitely say it's, 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 it's a personality type, but I, yeah, I, I'm yeah, sure yeah. it affects when you, when you grow up with those environments, I think it definitely shapes a little bit of your train of thought, right? Right. No, absolutely. And back to what you said about the personality type right? and, and it being chaotic, you have to be comfortable in the chaos. And, and I think in entrepreneurship, a lot of people will uh, not get intimidated out of it, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily a fun lifestyle to a lot of people, right? If, if, if some people's definition of, you know, I'm enjoying myself means they're relaxed, that they always know what the next move is. They, they're always in a position of um, knowing what's best. Entrepreneurship is not, you know, it's gonna, not going to be their cup of tea. Would you agree? 
hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's the, the uncertainty part is what, um, I think from an, from a psychological and emotional standpoint, mm -hmm. it, uh, carries a lot of, a lot of weight on you. Right. Um, right. You don't know if what you're doing is the right direction. You don't know if the decisions you're making in a day to day are actually going to play out. Right. Um, a lot of times, you know, when you're kind of creating budgets or even when you don't have any money and you're trying to figure out sales, mm -hmm. um, it's the uncertainty part is, 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 is pretty tough. Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people miss that, you know, you see a great product get released and it's very successful and it's adopted very quickly. And it, it suddenly becomes so obvious that that was supposed to exist. Right. Yeah. Like someone comes up with an amazing product that flies off the shelves and oh yeah, of course. I mean, that makes sense. That's a super underserved market and that's why they're so successful. But meanwhile, the entrepreneur before they started, they had no idea whether this was going to work out or not. They just kind of got going and exactly. there's something to be said for that. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Going back to, to, to LMU. So you, you, you got in the school, you know, you, uh, you're, uh, a first generation, um, you're, uh, you know, drinking through a fire hose, so to speak, about what it's like to be in the United States, what it's like to live in Los Angeles. Um, what happens next as you kind of go through college? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some culture shock. Uh, it took me a second to get accustomed to to the way life works here in the U.S. and and uh, definitely very different. But um, but I, I loved it. You know, I think it was it was that versatility of of um, learning a completely different world that that it, you know it was a, a big learning lesson um got better at english which was one of the <laughs> one of the goals of the of the trip and it's and I'm such a out fucked here. up language it's such a fucked up language <laughs> man i'll never ever understand why kansas is pronounced pronounced kansas and arkansas is pronounced arkansas like <laughs> the stuff like that it, it there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make any sense no it's not uh, supposed to <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. And, um, obviously tequila is a, is a big thing in California. And, um, um, I actually kind of went through like this little health craze and my junior year where I wanted to, you know, I was, in, I was in a fraternity and I wanted to stop, uh, uh I didn't want to continue drinking beer. And I wanted, I kind of got a little bit more of like, um, I wanted to go out and, and not feel like groggy. And I was got into this working out thing. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends actually told me about um, to start drinking tequila, that it was usually easier. And I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and, you know, started trying out different tequilas. And mm -hmm. um, the, my, my perception of tequila, I think was very similar to what most people in the world have at first in terms of perceptions of tequila, which is you just shot it. And, uh, you know, right. you, you, you kind of cringe after that. And, and that changed completely as I went down the rabbit hole and learned that there's so many different types of tequila and like there's so many different types of uh, production methods and taste profiles. And it's actually a very, very refined spirit, um, pretty up there with like the scotches of the world. And, you know, but even even more so, I think, from from the artisanal standpoint. Yeah. Um, so the, the company itself actually came from a class where the, the whole idea was coming up with a business idea that had nothing to do with technology. Mm -hmm. This was uh, my senior year. Uh, so they gave us that assignment on a Friday. Uh, we had to pitch it on Monday. And the reasoning was everyone was basically grabbing their phone and creating apps. You know, I want to do the Uber for this, Uber for that. Right, right. Uh, and our teacher was like, hey, guys, forget about that for a second. <laughs> it's, uh, it, there's a lot more in, in the real world than just apps. Right. And I went out that night, bought a tequila drink. And for the first time, I kind of paid attention to how many people were actually buying tequila, whether it was shots, whether it was a drink, whether it was uh, neat uh, on the rocks, whatever mm -hmm. it was. 
sparked a little bit of interest, looked into the industry, saw that it had been growing double digits since 2010, which wow. was 2015. So it definitely was interesting. Uh, the Kager was insane compared to a lot of the other alcohols. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built a pitch around it and a couple of weeks went by. And every time I go out, I was like, oh, wow, I, this could, I could be drinking my own stuff. What am I doing? All right, all right. Um, so I just took a took my settings and I decided to go down to Mexico and I, I spent uh, spent almost a, almost a month over there learning about the process of tequila. How does it work? Uh, obviously, Spanish being my first language was a huge benefit. Oh, um, yeah. And it was a really cool experience. Met this amazing family that's been in the industry for for a long time and and sat down with their master distiller. Um, obviously, I didn't know anything about tequila at the, at the time, and, and he really kind of taught me the ropes of how it worked and operated. And, and mm-hmm. I came back with a, a few different samples, mm-hmm. uh, little different samples that we had created. Uh, and we did some tastings, and it was an overwhelming majority of like all my friends. Uh, I invited some friends and teachers to to try it out. Um, it was an over, overwhelming majority that chose one specific formula as their favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it was like, wow, there's definitely something special here. Like this is a blind tasting and everyone's kind of doing the same uh, uh, choice from the samples we made together. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I went over to um, uh, one of my best friends in college, uh, Michael Arbenas, and, and you know, started working with them. Uh, told him he he's more of a, a financial mindset. Uh, he was a studying finance, working at a, at a investment bank at investment banking at the time. Um, and I told him that I wanted to do this and I wanted to do it with someone. And I had this this plan. And he he jumped on board. So we started working together. And this and, was senior uh, year. This was senior year, his junior year. So obviously he had uh, a little bit more time to to graduate and, and finish some stuff on his side, but. Uh, by the time I was about to graduate, we had a uh, we had a bottle, uh, a brand name a design that my friend Silvana from Costa Rica, who's a graphic designer, uh, helped helped us put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just came down to figuring out if this was going to be a passion project, a hobby, or or if I was actually going to take a leap of faith, I guess, and right. see if this could actually play out. So it came down to two things: funding and and, and getting a visa, because that's that's also not easy. Right, right. Walk us. <laughs> through both of those so how did you how did you secure funding in the early days yeah so the very very first funding i got uh actually came from um bank of america uh took out a personal loan interesting from, from b of a uh which was the max i could max out my credit card at the time it so it was 000. a credit was it a credit card or was it like just a personal loan it was a credit card that had access to a cash revolver basically okay uh, which was uh, an offer that they had at the time. Uh, it was, I think you got like 18 months at zero percent and then it kind of changed and there was like an initiation fee. So it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was the most I could get, obviously just a <laughs> kid out of college. And I bless his heart. I, I'm always been super thankful with my banker at Bank of America because he uh, moved everything, heaven and, <laughs> and, and earth to, to make that happen. And yeah. it was just a, a, the, the initial uh, capital. Um, so how much how much was that capital if you don't mind me asking to get you guys started what did it take eighteen thousand dollars okay eighteen thousand dollars yeah that was uh, uh, enough to get you know the first few permits the uh, importation documents uh, mm-hmm. our first little batch of a product that we made bring it mm-hmm. over to from Mexico um, in very small quantities of course right well so you have uh, product now you have a little cash in the bank you have some product. Who's buying it? Who are you going to sell it to? What's your distribution? 
Yeah, so that was the that was the tough part. You know, I uh, we had, we made we made our first batch in October of 2016. We brought it into the U.S. in January of 2017, and the first four or five months of our business, it absolutely sucked. It was yeah. really tough to go into restaurants and trying to get uh, appointments. And you know, here's this 22 uh, year old kind of walking in into these restaurants, telling them that they that he has a tequila that they need to try. It's like right. this clown. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Track. Um, and we had a few a few people that believed in us really early on that we're, I'm always going to be very thankful for, um, but we really weren't getting any traction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, comes May of 2017, um, I was basically just getting ready to pack up my bags and, and head head back home, and um, we were told about this competition called the San Francisco World Spirit Competition. Okay. Uh, which uh, little we didn't really know much about it, but you know, it's it's pretty much the Oscars for like the spirit world. Uh, right. It's like one of the most serious ones that there is out there. And um, mm-hmm. we had about two two grand left in the bank account uh, to compete. It was an entry fee of five hundred dollars, so bit of a <laughs> bit of a spend. Yeah. Um, and we decided to just send the bottle and see what happened. And a little bit later, I got an email from them, and uh, I opened it up without expecting anything. And, Right at the top in, in the tequila category, it said double gold award, which is the best award you can get. Uh, it said Nosotros Tequila, among, among oh, no. a few others. Kept scrolling, best unaged tequila. So within the unaged category, the Blancos. Mm-hmm. So that's all we had at the time. Um, Nosotros Tequila. And then it kept scrolling down as I couldn't believe it. And it said best tequila of the show, literally across all categories. And it said Nosotros Tequila. And I was like, Jesus, man, this oh, is wow. Unbelievable. So I, and I you were packing your bags. You were like, uh, yeah, this is so was, hard. Uh, this is not going the direction that I wanted it to. It's not getting that and, and the, the work permit I was in at the time, too, was about to expire. And it depended on, on and the visa I was applying for depended on the business uh, to do well in order to stay in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I I actually grabbed the the like all those um, I grabbed the screenshot and started sending it to all the people that I had been reaching out to, mm-hmm. and finally people start responding and being like, okay, let's see what you got. Bring bring it over. We'll taste it. Uh, mm-hmm. We got our first retail order from Total Wine and More. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, we we start getting to other uh, retailers like Bevmo and and Albertsons and Vons and Bristol Farms and uh, mm-hmm. Gelson's here in California. Like uh, just a little bit of, a little bit of all over the place and um people started buying it and, and finally we had a, a little bit of momentum um went full-time into the business um we hired mike mike and i hired our first employee in september 2017 mm-hmm. and from there it's just been uh, crazy crazy scaling man we uh we're now a team of 12 we sell in california illinois nevada wisconsin and new york Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working and expanding. We we have a big big uh, sales part too uh, now internationally. We sell to Costa Rica and, and Honduras, wow. which is really fun. Kind of sending it back home. Oh yeah, um, that's amazing. So what's that feeling like? What's it what's what's it like to look back? You know, in 2017, you had your bags packed. You're ready to go home. You sent that you know the, the the bottle up to the the competition. You guys won, and then here you are today. I'm sure I'm making it sound nice and rosy and beautiful and easy, but. <laughs> At some point, you got to look back and be like, "Holy shit! Like we kind of, we kind of did it. Like we got to a point where there's like a functional business here, right?" Well, there's there's always a lot of growth ahead, right? So I I try not to spend too much time kind of patting ourselves on the back because there's 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 just so much to do that we still need to fix in many many parts of the business. 
Um, but it is, it is a really nice feeling. It is a, it is some degree of like, um, satisfaction knowing that there's a lot of road to cover still, but the, definitely a little bit of satisfaction in knowing that we were able to build something that people believe in. And, and the coolest part by far is continuing to see new people trying it and new people re- reacting to it and being like, Holy cow, I've never tried tequila. It tastes like this. Oh, wow. This right. is just changing my, my perspective of tequila, uh, for good. And, um, that continues to be the, the, the underlying factor that keeps us in the business. And what's so different about your tequila? You know, these people are saying, I've never had tequila taste like this. What is, what's driving them? That there's change? a few, there's a few different factors. Uh, and I don't want to get too technical because obviously there's a, a lot to it that would uh, affect yeah. a little bit of like the different flavors and, and, and taste profiles you can create. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main things that really plays a role in our formula is that we do a blend of agaves uh, from two different regions of, of, of agave. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, tequila makers kind of choose a region and they build, get their agaves from there and that really shapes the flavor. So um, two main regions are Los Altos, so the highlands and uh, El Valle, which is the lowlands. Mm-hmm. Um, Highlands uh, tend to have a little bit more stress because of, uh, they get exposed to more sun, less coverage and shade. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, the actual agave gets a little sweeter and more citrusy. Uh, the lowlands harvest all the water that comes down uh, and they usually have a little bit more shade. Uh, so it becomes a little bit more earthy, more peppery. Uh, so we actually do a blend of both. And what that results in is it creates a very, very balanced taste profile. It's not mm-hmm. extremely peppery. It's not extremely sweet. It's a midpoint. Um, right. And that's what a lot of people like because it's, you know, being so balanced is something you can throw neat and you can sip it. You can throw it on the rocks and you can sip it. You can throw it on a cocktail and it's a single, a single, a single uh, flavor through and through. And and this is a new idea to tequila. This is not typical and and what other makers are making. Not typical at all. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of times you'll see brands that are actually even in some you know Mexican restaurants or tequila based restaurants. Uh, you'll even see it divided by regions. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, not not typical at all. Typical at all. So was there a moment where you just had this idea? Why don't we mix highland and lowland agave? Or was it something love- that you kind of? would love to tell you it was all my creativity, but it wasn't, <laughs> it was, uh, it was our master distiller. Our master distiller had been playing with it for a little uh-huh. bit and they hadn't put, put out a, a, a formula yet with that kind of, right. um, built. And mm-hmm. that was one of the formulas that, you know, when, when we were doing the tastings, everyone chose. So it was like, wow, that, I mean, that definitely is really, really interesting. Right. Right. So tell me about the process of, so like you're getting into tequila, into tequila. I'm, I'm assuming that the first thought was, this is a crowded market. Tequila has been around for a long time. There are big players with big heritage brands that are already in this. There's also, you know, a few smaller tequila brands. You're entering a crowded market. What do you, what kind of, what kind of advice would you give to an entrepreneur that, that wants to enter a crowded market like that? Because a lot of people, you know, they talk yeah. about, I want to go into, you know, a blue ocean where there's no competitive, there's very little competition and I'm going to be able to innovate and have all this breathing room. But you entered tequila, which was not the case. What was that process like? I'd say, I mean, first and foremost, I think ignorance is bliss. Uh, not knowing how hard the market actually was, I think was definitely a, a benefit uh, for, for us because on one side, we didn't exactly know what to expect. On right. the other side, we also didn't have any bad habits coming in, right? So our industry historically has known, been known for a lot of pay-to-play structures and, and where the big brands come in and they 
uh, you know, they'll, they'll pay X amount for placements. And it's, it's something that is, um, depending on the legislation, either legal or unethical or just frowned upon. Um, so that's, that's a manufacturer brand, uh, getting in bed with distribution and retail. Yeah. Uh, all the way down to restaurants and, you know, licenses. And obviously the, the rules change depending on the state and people that you're working with and everything. So that is, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say that it's the same for everyone, but it, 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 it has been historically a big part of our, of our brand. Um, it is a crowded market. I will say 2015, it wasn't as crowded as it is today. I think, right. the, uh, you know, 2015, um, that at that point, the only like big, big celebrity brand that you would see in our category um, was uh, maybe like Timberlake with like Salsa. They did a little partnership over there. And even Casamigos mm-hmm. in 2015 was kind of like just uh, getting its its bearings. Right, um, right. And I think the acquisition from, from Casamigos, from Diageo, really got excited a lot of people because now, you know, you have so many celebrities that are going into tequila. Oh my gosh, um, just going into spirits. Just in yeah, general, and it's, they're all over it's, it or going into product branding and, and all that stuff. To be completely honest with spirits, I, I think it's just funny now, man. Like at some point, you, someone has to tell these guys and be like, hey, guys, like, uh, <laughs> don't, don't be jumping on board because everyone is doing it. Like if they develop yeah. a product, think about something. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a little played out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually just launched a, a, a a marketing campaign that says uh, no sotos tequilas gluten free additive free and celebrity free uh, <laughs> that's a amazing bit, <laughs> i love a little bit of the idea there is just to show that you know we have no uh uh no shitty ingredients within <laughs> within our mix right not, right it's about by, the, it's about the product yeah exactly and by no means i'm saying that you know there's anything wrong with celebrities at all it's just that, that we're not going to ask you to buy something because a celebrity made it right uh, we actually have a lot of celebrity friends that drink our stuff which is awesome mm-hmm. um but at the same time it's like hey guys like don't we're, we're not going to shove someone's face and you're going to go buy the product because of someone's face you're going to go buy the product because it tastes really good and it's actually right. high quality high quality tequila well, now that you're on Naturally Driven, Carlos, I feel like you might have to t- get rid of that marketing campaign because you're going to be a big celebrity after this one, brother. <laughs> too kind, man. Too kind. I'm so, far, far out from a celebrity. Though. <laughs> you're on your way. You're on your way. So let's talk about competing in these in these crazy marketplaces um, with all these competitors. You know, give me a, a, an idea. How can you guys, you know, make a brand for yourself and differentiate in a place like? tequila because we're in coffee right you know yep. uh, grips grips coffee is in, is obviously in the coffee market and it's just as crowded as tequila um and so we're always looking of ways to to, to kind of break through the noise and break through the pack um because you can you can rest on the laurels of your product so much uh but i feel like you know sometimes product integrity alone might not be enough to get the word out as fast as you want to get it out no, so, and it's and it's tough, man. And it, it is when you're in a competitive environment like that. It is really tough because obviously there's you can't compete in money. If you try to go head to head with them uh, on on money, uh, they can they can remain. Um, basically, there's there's no way you're going to be able to float uh, your growth through that stage unless you have unlimited funding or unless you have a really really interesting runway, right? Right. Um, our focus overall uh, was basically. I'd say to a twofold. Um, first, you're the, when you're small, you're scrappy. You're able to to act a lot quicker than than a lot of 
a lot of other brands, uh, corporate brands can. And I think that is absolutely an advantage and not a, not a, not a con, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the fact that you're able to move a lot quicker and a lot, a lot less, um, top heavy is, is, is huge. Uh, how does that play out in reality for us? It was, um, focusing a lot on like building partnerships with key accounts that first focused on, on having more boutique products, products like that. And in itself was a, was a layup. And, and thankfully here in, in, in LA as a market in California, the whole has a, a good amount of places like that, that focus a little bit more on the artisanal, uh, uh, SKUs and the, uh, boutique producers rather than some of the bigger names. Uh, so you're talking about partnerships yeah. with boutique brands or partnerships boutique, with boutique restaurants, retailers? retailers, restaurants, and retailers, just people that, that are able to. So for us, our, our market basically divides into two parts off premise, which is everything that has to do with retail and on premise, everything, there's bars, restaurants, and, and that type of environment. Right. Um, and they're two completely different beasts, right? And you have a little bit of both players on, on both sides. Uh, but we truly built our 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 brand in the on-premise side of things. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, going into restaurants and telling people about it because you know when you think about it, if if you're able to get into a chain, that's fantastic. But then uh, you need to be able to prove numbers immediately. You usually have like a three-month turnaround process. And we spent an entire year where we basically just went to restaurants and did tastings with people. A huge thing for us was, hey, are you willing to do a blind tasting? We'll literally get you a drink of a. a, a um, We'll, we'll literally get you an order of whatever other tequila you usually drink, and you're going to do a blind tasting with nosotros. And if and you're you're going to choose which one you like better. In nine out of ten times, they're going to end up choosing nosotros because of the taste profile that we have, and that's right. basically what we've seen in in, in our industry. So, how um, does that play out? Are are, are you or or one of uh, you know one of your team members going out and just striking up conversations with people at bars? Yeah, or, I mean, now, now, thankfully, we have a team that is able to do that at more on a recurrent basis, you know, and, and mm-hmm. throughout our markets. Uh, we have market manager for, for different markets. But yes, at first, it was just myself going in and, and Mike going in. And once we had our first uh, employee, that Sasha, she, she was going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it just it start, started out like that, to be completely honest. That was the... Um, the step by step that we that we were tackling, man, it's it's and that's part of, of being scrappy. All right. Um, you know, I can sit, I can sit on a desk and build the most beautiful marketing strategy and start rolling it out and everything, but nothing beats people to people, uh, especially right. for early, early stage, uh, at least in the CPG world. I think that's, that's a, that's a huge part of it. Obviously Absolutely. if you're in a, a SaaS or like a cloud business or something a little bit more technological then the, the focus is completely different. Right. Yeah. People think that, uh, you know, when you start a new brand or you start a new company, it's, it's all sexy and you're buying Facebook ads, you're buying Instagram ads. And if you know, your, your creative is good enough, then people are going to flock to it. The truth is it, 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 oftentimes it's just the founder going to a restaurant saying like, Hey, drink our shit. Do you like yeah. it? Trust me. Yeah. Just, just try it. hundred percent, man. And that's, that's literally like what we're in the business of it's people to people and telling and, and sharing, uh, with people, you know, the name of our brand means, means nos, nosotros means us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the, the studying the idea of why people drink. It's a social experiment. It's kind of people coming together, lowering their guard down, and, and being able to build some rapport and connections. And and from the start, that has been the ethos of our company, and something that we focus on keeping a lot, even as we continue to grow and scale. Right, right. Well, I absolutely love it. I love this story. Nosotros is an, is an awesome name, by the way. It's probably a lot easier to get uh, 
you know, nosotros.com instead of us.com. So cheers to, <laughs> to, to, to that idea. Appreciate it. Our, our website is nosotrostequila.com though. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so uh, what's the next step for you guys? Um, you know, you have, you know, you're in four states or four or five states, you know, you're doing well both on-premise and off-premise. Is it just to keep kind of hounding retail and trying to just grow more, grow more sales? Is it doing more direct-to-consumer? Um, you know, I understand you probably have some secrets you want to keep uh, in your deck, but what do you think? A hundred percent. We're in a stage of our business where we're starting to scale a little bit. And that in itself, you know, comes with a lot of other challenges, which is how do you do it in a sustainable way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, we always joke around that the easiest thing about running a business is spending money. <laughs> once you, once you actually right. make money, it's really easy to spend it. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of challenges that we face in terms of maximizing ROI when we, when we look at opening markets or how do we, how do we go about it? The people we hire and just trying to be very financially uh, conservative about how we go about things. Cause at the end of the day, you know, cash is, Cash is cash are your lungs. Without it, you you don't breathe, and and you need to keep it um, keep a healthy flow of it. Uh, as when as much as coming in should be going out and whatnot, and um, and I think that's the biggest hurdle that we're working on right now. How do we scale in a sustainable manner? Because obviously, right. there's a lot of markets in the U.S. that we still need to get to. Right, right, and and picking the right things and not growing too fast, but still growing at a steady space. I mean, uh, or, or pace. It's it's very much a, an art as much as it is a science. Yeah. You know, back to you though, uh, Carlos. What do you think inspired you to kind of go this route? You know, why aren't you, why aren't you a CPA? Why aren't you a lawyer? Why didn't you do something else? What inspired you to be who you are today? There's definitely a series of things, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned a little bit of the, the environment I grew up with at, at start at first. And I think that played a big role, um, during summer of, um, 2016 or 2015, I think it was junior to senior. I worked at a, at a private equity company, uh, back in Costa Rica, uh, amazing, amazing group. Uh, they're called Mesoamerica. Uh, and it was an awesome experience, learned so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but was was working a lot, and I think that in part also helped me realize um, if 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 I'm going to be working this hard, uh, I would love to be building something uh, that I'm very passionate about and something that I can basically curate from from the ground up. Right. And it's not even it's not even the idea of like working for myself because um, I actually, and, and, and I have pretty strong opinions about like being part of, of, of a vision and, and, you know, being the employee number one or two or three or whatever. Um, I think entrepreneurship is a mindset that you can still run with even at, at, a, at a position like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more so about the vision and, and focusing on something that I, uh, that I liked. I didn't know what the answer was going to be, but it kind of led me down the, the rabbit hole of seeing all the different possibilities of, of businesses and things that I could go into. And, um, overall I'm a, I'm a, I would definitely say I'm an extrovert and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, the spirits business is a people to people business. And I think I was definitely drawn to it by the interactions and being able to have conversations with, with people you connect with and that human factor. Uh, we spent right. so much time, we spent so much time in computers and Excel sheets and, uh, just looking at our screens on a day to day basis that it's, it's honestly, it's refreshing to deal with people for business, mm-hmm. um, on a face to face, um, 
manner rather than having to, you know, kind of just limit yourself to <laughs> two numbers on the screen. Right. Um, Absolutely. And and you harped I, on something. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I was done with that. Um, you harped on something that was really interesting. And it's that, you know, when you are working for somebody else, I mean, you're selling your time, right? But if you're building a business that you have equity in, you know, it's, it's, you can actually, you know, stop working and the money doesn't stop, right? There's, there's something that you built that you created and it in and itself has value. And I, I think that there's, a, there's, it's really hard to be an entrepreneur. It's really hard to build something that actually has value like that. But I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you actually, it's like owning a home versus renting, right? You're not just renting out, you know, every month you're just paying a, uh, you know, a couple extra dollars to stay in the house. But, you know, when you own the home, you're actually building principal and you own it. Um, can you speak to that aspect? Was that like the financial part of it? Anything that inspired you at all? Well, obviously there's, there's the, the attractiveness of a financial return uh, mm-hmm. as, as the business grows and everything. Uh, but I, I will say that that has to go back a lot to personality types, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's, I feel like we live in, in a world where so many people are, are going on Instagram and, you know, you have the Gary Vee's, the, the Grant Cardone's telling you to like work, 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 work. Yeah. Like this is the time to be doing this and grinding and hustling. And, um, that's, that's fine. If that's the type of personality that you have and you want that type of life. Right. Uh, but I, I think more so, um, than, than like the hustle idea or even like the equity example that you were doing with, uh, with, with housing, um, to me really was the, the attractiveness of, of building something that I, I would, I would have this, the, the opportunity to do from the ground up. I think the, mm-hmm. the vision of doing something where it was our rules and our, uh, organization, our system, mm-hmm. um, was, was really cool to me just cause it didn't, it meant that we were, it was basically a blank canvas that we could create from scratch. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you know, for some people, the renting, uh, works great because it's, you know, you have the flexibility to move around and maybe some mm-hmm. people don't want to live in the same place for the next 20, 30 years. Right. And, uh, I, I totally understand it. I guess where, where I'm going with that is it's, it's kind of weird to see the world right now in terms of how entrepreneurship has been, um, I'd say even prostituted a little bit in the sense that it's, it's pushed so much down the throat of so many people that yeah. I've, I've had, I've had little chats with people that sometimes they're like building their own businesses and they feel so frustrated because they just, they're just not happy doing it or they're just not enjoying it. And I think that defeats the purpose entirely. Right. Uh, like granted, as you go through things like the micro stuff sucks, you're dealing with uh, billables, you're, drink, you're, you're dealing with um, inventory issues, you're dealing with uh, sales issues, you're dealing with stuff that didn't happen, something that went wrong. There's always like something over there that, that kind of uh, doesn't work out. But on the macro level, you should be enjoying it. Right. On the macro level, you you have this, this ability to grow and see how things kind of go. Um, and there's so many people that kind of put themselves in this, in this situation where it's like, Hey, I need to build this because entrepreneurship is the only thing that, that matters right now is the only way to do it. No, it's not necessarily the right thing to do for, right. for everyone. Right. You could be an employee number four and still, and still have a lot of flexibility with something that you're building or working with someone and kind of building a vision. And that's insane. You, get, you learn so much and you grow within the business and, mm-hmm. uh, that can also give you more flexibility down the road. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm just thinking out loud as, as we go through this. No, this is what it's for. Absolutely. 
I mean, it, it's true. I mean, it's not for everybody and you don't have to be an entrepreneur. It's not the end all be all. And it's so funny. You mentioned Gary Vee and, and like Grant Cardone. I don't know how you feel about those guys, but I cannot stand those guys, dude. I just did drive <laughs> me up a wall. I, I think that it, it's not like everything they say is wrong, but the whole hustle mentality, like, you know, you got till you're 30 and then you're going to like, you, you know, have kids. So, you know, uh, everything's going to drop dead. You're not going to have the energy anymore. So now's the time yeah. to blow it out. hundred hour work weeks, like fuck going to the bars, like friends are for later, like all that kind of shit. It's just so disingenuous to me. It, and it's, it, it doesn't have to be the way that, you know, we all live. You know, you see a lot of guys on Instagram that are, you know, taking pictures on jets and, and they've sure. got the watches and they got, you know, the Grant Cardone Bible, whatever next to them. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, good for you, man. That's just, that's not for me. I mean, for me, you know, I started grips coffee cause I saw, uh, you know, a break in what, how Americans approached coffee and what coffee can be. And the, the, the gap is bridgeable. And I just wanted to offer the, the, you know, the America, you know, a better cup of coffee because it's not out of our reach. It's not very expensive. It doesn't have to be this whole hipster, uh, you know, expensive extravaganza. You know, if we, if we just sourced it a little bit better and brought it to, uh, you know, our communities in, in a lot more approachable fashion, then it would lose all of its flair and everybody would just be drinking better coffee. And that was, that's all it was. It wasn't about like hustle, hustle, hustle. Like you got to find, uh, you know, an arbitrage situation where you can kind of like screw over one guy and make some money off of it. Yeah. it's just not my, my type of entrepreneurship, but you know, mm -hmm. totally, totally agree with you on that, man. It's, uh, it's finding a niche that works and, and then kind of going in that, in that direction. Uh, and a niche that and, you want to be in too, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause you got to eat, eat and breathe it for, you know, as long as we're all you're in the company. So you better enjoy it. Yeah. hundred percent. And dude, to be completely honest, like a lot of, a lot of the best relationships I've built both at a professional level and at a social level have been from the bars, have been from the mm -hmm. ski lift that you you're taking up in the mountain or have been from, uh, being, having fun with people going to someone's house and then you meet someone. And like, if you're, if you're not enjoying those situations, man, our, our time, you don't know if we, we don't know if we're going to make it to 30. We don't know if we're going to make it 35. We don't know if we're going to make it to 40. Right. Like, there's some degree of it that you also got to live in the now and actually enjoy what you're doing and, and how you're doing your day to day. Um, cause at the end of the day, we just don't know. Yeah, it's so true. We don't know when we're going to be taken off this planet. So you better make yeah. something while you're here. If that's what you want to do. If you want to be CPA yeah. and crunch numbers, bro, I'll power to you. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you a yeah. question, Carlos. What's something that you used to believe was true, but you now believe is false? Hmm. Um, could be in business, like, could be in your personal life. Yeah, I feel, I feel like there's a... Um, there's a lot of answers to this question. I definitely think that, I mean, we covered a little bit of that, but definitely the, the one route to mm -hmm. success. Um, I think that was instilled in our brains really early on. You need, you need to go to college. You need to get a good job. You need to do this, this, and this. And I think that that has changed for a lot of people. Right. Um, it's so true though. Like you, you go into college and I, I feel like, and maybe this didn't happen, but I felt like it did. You know, somebody gave me a pamphlet and they said, here's 20 careers, pick the one that you think you'd like the best. But there's like, you know, an infinite amount of things that we can do with our time on this planet, yeah. right? And there's so many different options to choose from. And you don't have to pick from that to those 20 things, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, total, totally agree with you. Um, it's, I think that the, the overall understanding of how life works and should be has definitely changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that, that could be a good answer. That, that reflects in college, that reflects in, um, I mean, you talked a little bit about homeowner ownership and, you know, it's, it's always, it's, do you see it as an investment? Do you see it as a life decision that you're making? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that are very happy living on the move. Um, I think that that paradigm, paradigm has definitely changed for our generation. Right. Um, the idea of a, of a good job and kind of being very conservative. Um, oh, you know what? There's, there's something that I think has definitely changed my train of thought, especially at, at this age. And it's, yeah. um, there's always, I think from an early, from, from an early point within finance and business and, in, especially in terms of like personal finance and, and, and what you're doing, they always talk about diversification, right? Right. Um, diversification is the way to go. It's the safe way and, and this and this and that. And I used to think that that was a good way to kind of go about life. And you just kind of put a little bit here and there. And then it hit me and I was like, hey, and, you know, kind of credit to those guys, <laughs> if you're going to take a risk, this is a pretty darn good time to take risk in whatever shape or form it is, whether it's business, whether it's personal, whether it's uh, career, passion, hobby, relationship. Um, sometimes when you don't diversify and you put all your effort into one basket, sure, you may fall flat on your face. Um, but if you don't, you're actually likely to succeed. And I think that was a, a turning point for Nosotros as a whole. And then for me at a, at a psychological level too, when it was the decision to say like, Hey, I've been doing this as a, as a hobby, kind of putting this together. Now it's time to go full time into this. This is going to be my livelihood. This is either going to work or it's going to work. Um, that was a change in my, in my paradigm. So I think I've, I've gotten to a point where I kind of put my brain through every one of those decisions in really ask myself like, Hey, if this, if I'm going to do this, um, again, at a personal or a business level, if, if I, or we're going to do this, is this something that we would like to continue doing and continue investing into it and continue building on, on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's going to be a one-off. Is it really worth kind of spending that energy and, 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 and money into that or whatever? Right. Uh, I think that paradigm really changed in my life. And it's, it's been really interesting to see how it's played out so far. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And which kind of brings me to my next question. I mean, you're clearly a guy that has a way of thinking about the world and a way of thinking about business. Is there certain books that you read or is there certain like uh, media that you consume uh, that kind of like keeps you on your toes that you, you know, really could recommend to other people? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the all in podcast. I don't know if you've, you've heard it. It's with no, I haven't Jason. heard of it. Jason Kalaknes and uh, Chamath Pep- uh, Palipatia, uh, David Sachs and David Freeberg. Okay. They're these four super rich guys, <laughs> they've all done like different like VC stuff or whatever. Uh, but they have a really interesting way of, of kind of addressing what happens in life and in business. And, and, you know, they covered a lot of the political uh, world, the, the, all the politi- political stuff that was happening. They've covered a lot of the vaccinations. They covered a lot of uh, business uh, SPACs and, you know, just overall market sentiment and things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really interesting because I feel like they do a really good job about staying apolitical in a lot of their, a lot of their conversations. And, you know, there's, there's these four guys with four very different types of expertise. Um, and they go about 
subjects in a way that feels very um, not subjective, but actually kind of going down the rabbit hole of exploring different ideas and, and challenging each other's thoughts. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, and you know, as a foreigner in the U.S., I'm, I'm baffled about the, the two-party system. Uh, I, yeah. That's, that's something I don't understand how 330 million people only have two political parties where it's either literally mm-hmm. uh, red or white that you need to, uh, red or blue that you need to choose from. Right, uh, right. And, and it's stupid, dude. It's just terrible. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. And, you know, for, from an outsider's perspective, because for me, I can't really do anything from the, from the voting side. Uh, or even from like being involved with that. So it's a very reactionary process for me. But um, at the same time, it's, it's how on earth is there, is there really not a middle ground of, of people that don't realize like, hey, these, these guys are literally just trying to put us uh, against each other. You know, Republicans right. are trying to get us to hate Democrats and Democrats are trying to get us to hate Republicans. What? Mm-hmm. Well, let's find the middle ground where we can. Oh, there, I mean, there is. There's absolutely people that are in there's, the middle ground, but nobody splinting. represents them. There's plenty and there's been so long, you know, I think a lot of our generation are very fiscally conservative and very socially liberal. And mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhere where we, where we land somewhere in, in there and there's right. no, no representation for people like that. And there's countless of other thoughts and things that you could have that I'm sure people feel unidentified. Right. No, I completely agree. And I also think that there's a, a real case for um, libertarians that are kind of coming out of the woodworks that are just saying, you know, we just don't need government to be making these decisions for us. And and I think that that's actually a feeling that a lot, you know, both red and blue feel, you know, that they can say, you know, they're, they're printing a lot of money and we don't know if that's the best idea, but they're making those decisions. They're making decisions about women's bodies. Uh, I don't know why that that's the case. Why is our government making those decisions? Why is uh, that even a subject? <laughs> why is that even a subject? Why are you even talking about it, man? Why, why, yeah. is it, why are we even talking about it? You know, that's yeah. something that should be happening at, at the community levels, you know, with, with, with yeah. women. And, you know, I, I think if there was to be a more libertarian, like reasonable libertarian candidate to come out of the woodwork, I would hope that they would get support, but it seems to me that the Democratic National Convention and, and, and the RNC is it would would make it pretty hard for anybody to really come out of the woodwork. I mean, our system's just fucked up. I mean, it's just it's, it's yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's it is it is really uh, unfortunate the structure, and and I'm very very concerned about the the whole stimulus and the the amount of money printing that's been happening because it's. You know, when you take into account that uh, 45%, the bottom 45% of Americans don't have any investable assets, and that that tends to be the the um, the asset that you know people go to in order to to store wealth and and actually be able to sustain inflation periods and things like that. Right. Um, what what that's doing, I, and what I think it'll do, because it's it's an experiment, right? We we just printed more money than had been printed in the last 200 years in the last two years. Right. I think it was the stat was something like that, I and mean, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, 25, 26 percent of all money that's floating around the United States right now was printed in the last year. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, but it's it's an experiment that hasn't been done before, and 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 I think the result is going to be uh, terrible for the middle class because it's really going to mm-hmm. separate the middle class into different into different into two different worlds where we're just going to see uh, the K-shaped recovery that you know we've been talking about, where the higher uh, high, higher class has basically acted like there's no pandemic, the bottom class is trying to figure out what's happening, and then the middle class is still kind of back and forth. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the what that's what what effect that's going to have in the long term. We need a new MLK man. We need we need somebody to come in and just change the game, just change the conversation because it's clearly not working for us. And you know, not to get too pessimistic, but would definitely like to see some change in that aspect. So, Carlos, I think that you're uh, you know you should be a candidate you know, for office, you weren't born in the United States, so you can't be president, but you know, maybe we can get you in secretary of defense or something. I don't know. <laughs> find, find something to do. Over there. Uh, I think, I think I would have to get a residence first on that and then not be in a visa. But <laughs> hey, well, yeah, well, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. We'll so, see how that plays out. Uh, do you, do you consider yourself uh, an aspiring serial entrepreneur or say after no Sotros, you know, there's a big success. Maybe there's a liquidity event. Maybe there's an IPO, whatever it is. Do you see yourself going into venture capital, angel investing, starting another business? What do you think? I would, I would love to at some point, man. We, we, you know, I put everything into Nosotros and, and, and so, so has everyone else on the team at this point. And, you know, it's, we've, we've built it as if it's going to last forever. And I think that's always been the approach. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we don't know what, what could happen in the future, but, uh, I would love to, at some point to have some flexibility and, and help other people that are going through similar stages, uh, yeah. especially in CPG businesses and stuff like that. I think it, it, there's a lot that we've learned and, and, and to be completely honest, we've been lucky having some people that have helped us kind of avoid some dummy taxes, uh, mm-hmm. along the way where we basically just skipped making some bad decisions here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that has definitely been a, a, a positive, um, but yeah, I would, I would love at some point to, to have some of that. Another part of, of me also wants to go back and do a lot more stuff within Costa Rica, mm-hmm. uh, Costa Rica, similarly, um, very different, very different types of problems, but you know, there's a lot of stuff in, happening back home that I think is, is solvable with pretty, uh, pretty straightforward, um, mm-hmm policies and, and, and a little bit more support for um, also, again, getting a stronger middle class and things like that. And there's ways where you can do that by foster, you know, pushing for entrepreneurship and, and more micro businesses to step up to the plate and whatnot. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I have a lot of ideas, but uh, taking it one day at a time. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I got to ask you a question. We, we ask everybody that comes on the show, um, what drives you, Carlos? there's, there's a lot of things, man. And I think, um, it's, it's an ever-changing answer, uh, to what drives, because there isn't, you know, there's plenty of days where, where I think I wake up and I'm like, ah, I just don't feel like I don't want to go. I don't want to work today. There's, I'm tired. There's this and this and this. So the motivation just changes on a daily basis. And, And I think it all sums back to, uh, the little bit that we talked about the micro and the macro, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the micro is absolutely brutal and it's, it's usually what you need to fight for and, and, and kind of hold on, hold on to and not, not let it take over. Um, but the macro is a huge, huge driver of, of, of motivation and, and kind of doing things. Um, and, and this is at a, at a business and at a personal level, because it's once you see the steps that you're taking at a micro level and you're able to step back and go, oh, like, wow, like we did this and we, we did this other project and this, we were featured here or, or, or at a personal level, uh, you know, whether it's with sports or whatever, my skill is actually going in this direction. The little, little bit of training, every little bit of training that I'm doing is leading to this. Right. Uh, or from an you know an emotional intelligence aspect, you're growing in certain in a certain way. Um, 
whatever whatever that is i think the micro is always the tough because it's the the short time frame when right. you go the longer time frame i think that should that is that is always a huge a huge aspect of motivation for me which is um i got this macro accomplishment there's no way i'm giving up anymore right there's a next one there's the next one the next one and you keep on building on that right um so yeah i think it's definitely the, the macro level of uh of thinking that that drives me yeah i mean it's so easy to get lost in the details too right every single day you get up you got an inbox full of shit and it sucks and you're trying to get to inbox zero so you can make the important phone calls you got to make and sometimes you just have to take a step back and remind yourself you know what am i trying to accomplish here why, why, why am I here? You know, and that's the kind of stuff that, that, that gets you going. Cause that's why you're here in the first place, right. Yeah, to build this 100%, company. hundred percent. And then you also, you also have like the other options of what you're doing in life. Right. And it's like, what if, if I wasn't doing this, what else would I be doing? Mm-hmm. Is it really anything else I would, I would rather be doing at this point in my life? No, I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing and I'm kind of going in that direction. Right. Uh, so that is, that is a huge push. And you know, I, I, I would, venture to anyone listening to or, or, or push someone that that's not listening to um a lot of a lot of times i forget who said this but i was i was i was watching a thing that, that, that uh, there's a lot of times that people say like hey uh find your passion and only focus on your passion and that's the only way you're going to get success <laughs> and most of those most of those comments actually come from people that are very rich <laughs> all right <laughs> so it's it's um i think something that 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 has been a huge part of of what we've been able to build so far you know i identified that i was really good at dealing with people and then mm-hmm. the business came based on what i was good at uh i think finding what you're good at not necessarily what you're you're most passionate about uh is a good starting point to make to become passionate about something Right. Uh, and actually double down on your skill set instead of trying to, you know, become a jack of all trades with your weaknesses or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an, another easy way to get motivation, which is once you find what you're good at, it is very, I think it's net in, in human nature to get excited about things that you're able to do well. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you kind of get one foot forward, one, one foot on top of the other and you keep, you keep walking a little bit slower and then you start jogging and then you start running. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it feels pretty good. Right. It's not do what you love. It's love what you do. Exactly. Let that sink in everybody. Let that sink in. I love that. <laughs> well, uh, Carlos, do you have anything else for us? Anything that you want to tell the people that are listening? Uh, we've covered a lot, man. Wow. Um, I guess it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll twist it at you and, and, and for some closing remarks on, on your side too, I would love to hear what is, uh, what is the, the main ethos, uh, behind what you do on a daily basis? Like, what is it? What is it? I wouldn't, I don't want to say what drives you because that's your question. I will say what, what are you driven for? Like, what's the, the, the goal over here? Uh, I'm, I'm driven by death which is really dark, <laughs> but it's the truth. And uh, what, what I mean by that is I know I'm going to pass at one point in my life. Uh, hopefully it's 90, hopefully it's 95. Um, but I want to fill my life full of interesting events. And I want my life to be interesting. And I think that there are plenty of options to choose from and something that I latched onto uh, at an early age was uh, building things in general. 
Um, you know, I, I was never as excited as I was when I took a team of people and made something out of thin air with a group of people looked back at it and said, wow, we made that. So to me, that's living an interesting life. Um, and like I said, you only have so many years on this planet. And I think that you should fill them full of adventures that you find interesting. I like that answer. I like that answer. It's, um, it's very true. You don't know what, what's going to happen in might as well make the most of it. And at the same time, I guess it's also like, don't take life that seriously. Right. <laughs> right. None of us are getting out of, out of this alive. We're not taking any clothes. We're not taking any money with those. It's just... right. Exactly. So I, I used to have this, this calendar that my girlfriend absolutely hates. Um, and it's basically this calendar with no dates. It's just a lot of squares. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to screw up the math, but basically it's one square for every week of your life until you're 90. And the presumption is that you're going to die at 90 makes the math easier. I don't know when you're going to die, but all you do is at the end of every week is you, you cross off one of the squares. And so what you have is you buy this calendar, you know, when you're 25, 26, 27, whatever. And, uh, the first thing you do when you get the calendar is you have to go ahead and just black out a third of it because you've already lived a third of your life. And then you're staring at this calendar and you have two thirds of white space and you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do with this two thirds? Because when I get to that bottom square, I'm, I'm fucked, I'm dead. Right. And it really opens your eyes to the fact that we're all mortal and we all have to make decisions to fill those white squares. The question is, you know, what do you want to fill them with? And it's, it's an impossible question. It's a, it's a simple question, but it's a fun, it's a fun thing to answer at the same time. Cause we're all living on this planet and you know, that's a fun thing. So to not forget that. 100%, man. 100%. We're a bunch of, uh, bunch of monkeys floating in a, in a, <laughs> a bunch yep. of talking monkeys floating in a spaceship, I think was, uh, floating on a rock in space. So, yeah, I think was that Rogan or Elon or one of those podcasts? I think I, oh, some better caught some better podcaster than me said that. <laughs> I think there was, there was something. I think you're giving you're giving them a run for their money for sure. <laughs> well, Carlos, uh, where can people find you? Where can people find Nosotros? So Nosotros, uh, our website is nosotrostequila.com. We're on uh, Instagram and, and, and Facebook. If you want to place orders, we ship to a lot of different states from our website. Uh, if you're in the state of California or Illinois or Nevada, you can find those in, in stores, uh, soon Wisconsin too. Um, and yeah, I think those, those are our, our main distribution channels. I'd, I'd love for to hear people's thoughts and, and, and see what, what you think. Any message that goes to... Uh, uh, to our Facebook or Instagram, it's readdressed uh, addressed to me. I'll, I'll probably see it at some point. So, uh, yeah, and happy to happy to share. Would love to hear the thoughts of anyone who, who actually wants to try it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everybody, go out try No Sochos Tequila. Let us know what you think, um, Carlos. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you on, man. Um, Love the conversation. We covered a lot of lot of bases, and uh, yeah, you're a fun guy to listen to. So, thanks again for hopping on. I uh, appreciate you. appreciate you having me here, man. And I love how you uh, challenge uh, the, the conversation to go to a deeper level too. That's uh, it's definitely nice to, to have a conversation like that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man. Appreciate it, man. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.